Thank you to the worship team. They worked really, really hard. To the AV team that made our stage really special. And to my son who did all right. Turn with me over to the book of Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. The title of the message is, Have You Seen Him? Have You Seen Him? 24, 24th chapter of Luke, verses 30 through 43. And when he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, verse 32, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Verse 36. And while they were telling him, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And, they, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you have doubt? why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while, he, and while, they, stood, while they still could not believe it, because of the joy and their amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And he gave, they gave him a piece of bread, 43, and he took it and ate it before them. Lord, help us as we study your word. It's important for us to be able to recognize Jesus when he shows up. Not just to recognize, but to believe that he is actually there, even if our eyes are telling us something different. We cannot trust in our natural senses to be able to discern spiritual things. Can't. Sometimes the confirmation of the natural is not near as important as the reality of what's happening spiritually. And if we're always waiting for the next thing to be that which confirms that God really loves us and cares about us and that he is really real, then we're going to miss all the other times when he has appeared invisibly to us. Ways that really matter. Those kinds of blessings that come where Jesus said, in contrast to Thomas, Thomas, you see and believe. But I tell you, those who don't see and believe, ah, there's a blessing. You miss out on that blessing because you're waiting to see something naturally to prove God is or does. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? I've seen him move in the lives of people while my natural eyes don't confirm anything. I've seen him move in the lives of my children 
in my marriage. I've seen him move in my community. I've seen him move in my life. I've seen him move in unbelievers' lives who don't know anything about God, but they see him working in ways that don't make any sense to them and that things are falling into place for them or falling into place against what they are trying to do in such a way that makes him say, only God, only God could do that. They're beginning to see him. Have you seen him? This story is the kind of the end of the day for the resurrection of Christ. It's been a busy day for him. He rose from the dead. Mary came to the tomb to do the preparatory stuff, finish the preparatory stuff so that he could be properly buried. They couldn't finish on the day he died because it, it boundaried right up to the Sabbath. And you can't work on the Sabbath. The Jewish day started at 6 p.m., not in the a.m. And so they had to stop. They laid the body in the tomb. The intent was to come back in a couple of days and figure out how to make it work. Mary came <clears throat> on this Sunday morning to the tomb to finish the work of embalming the body of Christ. She comes and the tomb is empty and she's depressed. Not remembering that Jesus said he would rise from the dead, she thinks somebody has stolen him. She's there mourning at the tomb, weeping, probably convulsively, probably out of control, primarily because Jesus was the only man who, at least by way of record, that treated her unusually well. This was a woman from whom seven demons had been cast out. And she lived in a town called Magdala. She was called Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. I've been to Israel a couple of times and visited the town of Magdala. Um, we think of towns being the kind of places like Herndon or Ashburn or South Riding. Um, think, of your, think of your neighborhood, not your community, your neighborhood. The, close, the houses behind you and the houses across the street from you and the houses on the other side of the crossing street that is your street. That's bigger than Magdala. Very small place. Now there were people who lived on the outskirts of the city, but the city center, you could walk it in about two minutes. Can you imagine what a woman who was infamous for demonic activity in her life, what she must have felt in that city? Everybody knew her business. See, if, it, if you have one demon, it messes up your day. Now, I know there are people out there who will excuse my belief in the demonic and say that we've, we've explained all that away through our psychoanalytical intellect. And we understand that there are chemical imbalances in the brain and there are conditions in the soul and there are all kinds of, of, of hormones that flow in the wrong sequence. And, and we can fix anything that's wrong in somebody's thinking. I don't mind Anything that advances somebody in our world through medicine, don't mind it at all. Happy for the kinds of relief that are brought to problems. But I also know that medicine doesn't fix everything. And that there are spiritual forces out there that are attempting to destroy people's lives because they can't get to God, but they hate him. And so they're trying to get to the people who look like him. And he's trying to hurt God by hurting them. 
So without me denying the benefit that medical practice, proper medical practice has on the thought processes of human beings, whether it be psychiatry or psychology or counseling, all those things are really important. Without me denying that, I still believe that there are moments where, where the only fix can be deliverance. One demon will ruin your life. Ruin your life. There are people that are carrying them around. And, and they're, they're functioning. They can go to work. They can parent their kids. They can be a good spouse. They can be a good friend. But when push comes to shove and it gets really difficult, that thing comes out. And then everybody says, oh, oh, oh mm, mm, what's that? Where'd that come from? Where do, hey, hey. And then you, you begin to think, can, can I trust you? Because <laughs> I've never seen that side of you before. One demon will mess up your life. Seven? In a small town, when Mary came out of her house, if she did, it was one of those, oh, no, let's go back in. Let's shut the door until she crosses all by. Probably nobody treated her well. And here was this one man. And I think it's fair for me to say, though it may not be accurate, that generally when a woman is dealing with things that are beyond her, it usually was caused by some man who didn't treat her well. An uncle who didn't do what was right when she was seven. A daddy who didn't treat her well. A husband, a boyfriend who jilted her. Usually, that's been my experience after 40 years of ministry. Some man didn't do right. It doesn't give the woman an excuse to not be right. But there are cause and effect issues. And here we have one man that treated this woman incredibly well. He didn't just... He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just not do bad to her, which would have been good. He said, let me help you, and delivered her from seven demons. I take time with this story because it kind of sets the stage for what happened with Mary at the tomb. It was probably fairly therapeutic for her to finish the process she couldn't complete because the Sabbath butted up against her work. And there she was at the tomb, now not able to complete it, and she couldn't find the body of her Lord. She was out of her mind with respect to grief, crying uncontrollably. And I want to show you the mercy and grace of God that accommodates human frailty. Here she is, not knowing what to do, and all of a sudden she sees a, what, what is supposedly the gardener. And once she sees him, she says, um, Sir, <clears throat> if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll go attend to him. And then the gardener says her name like only one person has ever said it, Mary. When Jesus calls your name, it's unlike your mama. It's unlike your daddy. When he calls your name, it's special. The gardener happened to be Jesus. And why didn't Mary notice that the gardener with Jesus. Well, have you ever been in those circumstances where you, uh, you saw somebody, but they weren't in the place where you normally see them? They're out of place from the context of your brain. And you sit there and your mind is working, but you can't place them. You can't figure out who they are. You're sitting there. I, you're familiar, but... I, and then all of a sudden, something triggers you. You say, oh, yeah, I remember. This was the ultimate of that. 
She didn't, nobody believed he was going to rise from the dead. That like had never happened before. People had been raised from the dead by somebody else, but nobody just got up on their own. She had no reference point. She thought the body was taken. And then when he says her name, <laughs> now it doesn't say this in scripture, but I think this is kind of what happened next. Mary hears her name as only said by Jesus. And she kind of goes, that, I think that happened. There's no way, there are no words to say what that is. It's hard to translate, but I think that's what happened. Because the next thing we read is that she is clinging to Jesus in one of those ways that is described as an uncomfortably long hug. Anybody ever been in one of those? Where you're done. You're done hugging, but the other party isn't. And you're sitting there going, uh, 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 <laughs> what do you, what, what do you know I don't know about this moment? One of those. And I'm convinced that, that this, if there, ever, if there ever was a spur of the moment thing, an ad-libbed moment, this was it for God. She's hugging on him. And he says, stop clinging to me because I haven't been to the Father. It's almost as if he's saying this. I stayed here because of you. I delayed my appointment with daddy because I saw how in distress you were. And I should have gone straight there, but the father and I had a conversation and I kind of said, I need to be here for her. See, John and Peter, they didn't cry. <laughs> when they got to the tomb, no tears. Ah! He's not here. They don't believe Mary. They don't believe anybody. She told them. That's why they ran to the tomb after she went and told them because Jesus said, go tell the disciples that I'm risen. She told them. They didn't believe it. They just came, saw he wasn't there and said, Mary's had a, a, a figment of her imagination, some kind of hyper hallucinogenic moment. I don't know what they thought, but they didn't believe her. So there was no need for Jesus to hang around before he went to the Father for Peter and John. Secondly, their souls were not near as fractured. I've ministered to some people whose souls are fractured and sometimes they need a little bit more than the next person. To find wholeness, they need more attention. Jesus says, Mary, you're going to have to let me go. That's the uncomfortable hug. That is the quintessential uncomfortable hug. She held on so long that Jesus had to say, stop hugging me. This was the beginning. And all day long, Jesus was trying to figure out how he could get the disciples on board to seeing him properly. The whole day was about, have you seen him? Have you seen him? And every time somebody came up and said he's alive, they didn't believe him. Next, you got some guys walking on the road to Emmaus, which is the preceding passage to the passage I read to you. And these two are pretty despondent, as the rest of the disciples. We don't know who they were. They weren't a part of the 11 that remained. Judas did something else with his life. But they were probably a part of the 70 that were sent in the short-term missions trip in John, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 10. And definitely, probably part of the 120 that were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. 
but they are nameless. But we do know they are walking to Emmaus. Now it's disputed as to how far Emmaus is from Jerusalem. But it, it's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of less than a day's walk. And as they're walking, they're talking about what's going on. And then somebody comes and accompanies them. And he says, what are you all talking about? And they say, uh, where have you been? You've you been under a rock all week? We thought this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. He was a promise. When he comes into the city, everybody's happy. By the end of the week, he's dead. Our hopes are shot. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. What do you mean? What are we talking about? Everybody's talking about this. And Jesus says, huh, interesting. Well, don't the scriptures say something about rising after dying? And he began to talk about the Old Testament and, 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 and all the way. He was walking with them. They couldn't figure out it. They couldn't figure it out. This is sermon number four. They could not figure it out either. And like Mary, they didn't recognize that he was actually with them because he wasn't where they, they figured he ought to be. And there may have been a supernatural covering of their eyes because Jesus wanted to do something that would explain something to us about what it means to follow him even when we don't see. And they wind up all the way to Emmaus and they, they uh, get ready to go get something to eat and Jesus acts like he's going to continue to, to walk on until they ask him, would you please stay with us? Because the conversation was like live. It was so great. They'd never heard the scriptures like this before. And they sit down, they recline at table, if you will, not sit down. Different way, of, not, I'm not going to go into it, but a different way of posturing yourself to eat. And he, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And when he breaks it, all of a sudden the disciples' eyes are opened. They hadn't even partaken of the bread. Jesus just broke it. And when he broke it, their eyes were opened and they saw it's him. <gasps> and as soon as they could begin to relate to him, he's gone, it pops right out. And they say, oh my goodness, that, that was, he was walking the whole time. Oh, oh, what were, oh. were not our hearts burning when he was speaking with us? First point about seeing him, brokenness is one of the best ways that leads you to an understanding of the revelation of who Jesus is. We hate brokenness. We want to be whole. We want to feel whole all the time. But the reality is, when we are whole without God, we have too much of ourselves. We need less of us. We don't realize how broken we are, and we're covering up all of our brokenness with our pride. And thus, when God is trying to speak to us regularly and reveal himself to us in our life, and we ignore him, he brings about circumstances that reveal our brokenness. When you don't have circumstances that reveal your brokenness, and all things are well, you, you just won the lottery. You shouldn't have bought a ticket anyway, but you just won the lottery. <laughs> Publisher's Clearinghouse showed up and said, $5,000 for a week. You got a promotion at your job. Your kids just graduated from Harvard, top of the class. Life's great. And you're feeling good. But you're, you're still broken. You're still fractured on the inside because you do not know the purpose for which you've been put on the planet and you are out of relationship with God. And so the Lord sent circumstances, though he's been trying to speak to you for a very long time, through word, through, I don't know, five foot nine inch black men with bow ties. 
through radio, through song, through your friends, through Bible study, through reading the Bible, through what happened when you got your gold star as a, at, in, in Sunday school when you were eight. He's been trying to speak to you for a long time and you haven't been listening. And so he brings circumstances that capture your attention in unique and painful ways to reveal the brokenness that is your life and that you can't handle it. If you haven't lived long enough to deal with a problem that makes you say, I don't know if I can make it, you just haven't lived long enough because it's coming. It is right around the corner. It reveals the brokenness that is you because before you thought you were whole when you weren't and now you know what you're not because you can't fix it. Something about this that is supposed to reveal to you who God is more in your life so you can see him. That he's been, he's had his hand on you the entire time. The only way you have been whatever you describe as successful is because he has been good to you. His mercy has attended your way. His kindness has been your guide every day. That's the only way. And when you understand what it means to be broken and that you cannot do everything that needs to be done in this life on your own, but you are completely dependent upon him, that level of brokenness allows you for the first time to feel whole. Beginning to be repaired, Jesus breaks. And all of a sudden, the disciples see, oh, oh, ah, and then he's gone. And that, that is the conundrum. That the greatest revelation we have of Jesus is when he's not around. Meaning we can't see him with our natural eyes. He's invisible to us. But we are supposed to get the greatest insight about who he is when we can't see him with our natural eyes. We think of that as less than. God thinks of that as greater than. Remember what I said about Thomas. He added a blessing, Jesus did, to the idea that blessed are those who believe without seeing. He said, it took you to see me to believe. Eh. Boy, there's something you missed out on, Thomas. You'll never be able to get it again. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. There is a blessing for you to be able to see him when you can't see him with your natural eyes. He vanished immediately. He could, have, he could have hung around. He could have accompanied them back to, to, to Jerusalem. Why? Because he met him there. <laughs> he met him there. That's what the passage says. While these guys went back and began to talk about what they had seen and heard, while they were speaking, Jesus showed up in their midst. Well, why did he walk back with them? He's teaching them something about what it means to live in this life in a broken way. Now, there are two ways that we can acknowledge our brokenness. One, allow the circumstances of life to become so heavy that we acknowledge we cannot live this way anymore. Or we recognize we cannot live this way anymore without the circumstances. Now, the circumstances very well might come. I can't stop those. Things, are, things happen in this life I cannot control. But I know this, that I seem, as I grow in God, to be able to deal with the stuff I didn't deal with, well, 10 years ago, better because I am submitting myself to them on a regular basis, and the things that used to be heavy are now light. I didn't say they were undetectable, just light. Same circumstances, different bread. How so? Surrender every day. Every day, Lord, I, I realize I'm not what 
I am not. Listen, I remember when, when we were a church of 53, and 53 people, that, and half of them weren't happy, didn't, didn't like Pastor Brett very much. Oh, that's not fair. Didn't know whether Pastor Brett was going to make it. I remember, and it was so heavy. It was so heavy. It was, my dad was living with me. He had cancer. I had to care for him while I was trying to care and nurse for the church. It was so heavy. My back gave out. I had to get some shots of, of, of muscle relaxers because I couldn't even walk upstairs for two weeks. I was only 30. I was in good shape. I couldn't handle it. Now we're about 7,000. I have many more problems, but my back is fine. Are you, are you listening to me? Many more, many more problems. Because we have many more people. Pastors asked me, Pastor, could you help me grow a big church? I said, you sure you want one? You sure you, sure you want this way? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we? I said, okay, you know when people come, they, they, they come with baggage. And generally, it's not a carry-on. Most of the folk who come to my church, the kind of baggage they have, you hear beeping before they walk in. There's a huge U-Haul that just drives up to the church. We're thinking, oh, welcome! More problems when you have more people. Heavier. But I knew how broken I was. I said, God, I can't, I can't lift this on my own. And there are things in my life now I don't know anything about that need to be born a decade from now. And so I'm going to have to get with God even more to recognize how broken I am so that he can help me handle those things a decade from now. When we are 20,000 as a people group in this area, in the metropolitan area, with 10 or 12 church plants, Lord, I want to be able to carry that with grace. I'm not going to wait for something to break me. I'm coming in your presence now realizing what I'm not. Help me to be better. I need you more every day. Secondly, he appeared bodily, as we said. These men came back to Jerusalem, began to talk about what they had seen, and wow, <laughs> it just floored the disciples because it sounded a whole lot like what Mary saw. Didn't recognize him, didn't recognize him. Ah, wow, that's really neat. They still didn't believe. But Jesus shows up bodily while they were talking. This is why you need to be in church on the regular. Because another way you get to see him, when your eyes can't tell you he's there, is by seeing the revelation of who he is through what's being said. Preaching as they were talking, Jesus revealed himself. I may not be the best version of whatever you need in terms of explanation, but I'm yours today. So you need to take whatever I've got that is good and right and apply it to the idea of not just becoming smarter but becoming more insightful about what God wants to do in your life because he is trying to reveal himself to you today. He's trying to reveal himself. Open your eyes and see what he has done for you. See what he is doing and realize what he wants to do. While they were speaking, he appeared. And the first thing he said to him is, now why don't y'all believe Mary, I sent to you. These guys I sent to you. And you still are having problems. And this is the accommodation he gives. Remember, when he showed up, 
to these men. He showed up in, in such a way he didn't use the door. I mean, they were all talking. These guys were communicating. And all, this, all of a sudden, Jesus just appears. And, How'd you get in here? Is that you? No, it can't be you. Is that? No, it can't be. How? And he is accommodating to the weakness of humanity. He shouldn't have to do this. Jesus should not have to do this. But he's doing it because these guys will not believe unless they see. He's died for you. You don't have to suffer the consequences of your misdeeds. He's paid the penalty for everything you've done wrong. Wrapped himself in a, <clears throat> a human body, gave up all the privileges he had as God, his omniscience, um, all-knowing, his omnipresence every place at once, his omnipotence, all-powerful. He gave all that up without denying his person because you can't stop being God if you are God. But he gave up all the, the privileges of being God in order to become us. Lived a life that was so far below his privilege. He now needed his humanity to provide for him when he had always provided for his humanity. Humility unparalleled and never complaining. Came to help people who didn't want his help. They hated him so much. All the truth he tried to share, though, only helped them. Only helped them. They hated him so much that they lied about who he was in order to convict him so that they might crucify him. And the thing he gave up to get, his body, he gave up. And what he had wasn't much. I mean, being us is not much compared to being him. But it was all he had. And he gave up all of that he had in eternity. The glory that he had to become us and at least he had that but then he was required to give up that which he gave up to get which meant he not only emptied himself of his godness he emptied himself of his humanity privileges of living and breathing when the, the, the hymn is sung Jesus gave it all all to him I owe he gave it all. There's nothing left to give. Now, I'm going to stop there because I want the impact of what he did to sit with you so that you never ask him to try to prove himself again. He's done enough for you. And if that's all he ever did, if that's all he ever did, you need to wake up every day even, it's, even if it's the worst day of your life. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With tears in your eyes about what you're going through. Thank you. Don't make him prove anything to you. He shouldn't have had to do this with the disciples. You ought to be able to see him without all this. He's helped you. He's cared for you. He's brought you to here. Not talking about my 
this church, talking about to this place in your life. He has provided for you. He has treated you better than you deserve. Honor him and thank him every day. Don't be like that petulant child that thinks his entire life has fallen apart when his mama will not, as they are pushing through the checkout aisle at Giant, not give him his bag of Skittles. Screams and hollers, believing that his parent has been unfair. And all that parent has done every day of that kid's life is sacrifice for his benefit. That's what we sound like when we say, God, you don't love me. If you did, you'd do this. Where were you then? Oh, if God is so loving, he'd fix that. Be careful. Shows up, reproves them for their unbelief. Having said all that, you remember that prayer you prayed that said, Lord, If you do this for me, if you show up like this, if you help me out of this situation, if you dig me out of the ditch into which I've driven my life, I'll serve you. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. I I might even think about becoming a priest, a missionary. I, I might go into the ministry. If you will do. Now, he may not have answered every one of those prayers, but if you've lived long enough and you prayed that prayer often enough, he's answered one. One of those, it made you say, Now, what happened to your end of the bargain? (laughs) Oh, I know what happened to mine. I just said, I'm out of it. Oh, I didn't get a ticket. Thank you, Lord. And I go back to living the way I want to live. My point is this. God does so much stuff for you that he shouldn't have to do. He's already proven himself so many times way beyond what he should. The accommodation he gives for humanity is outstanding. And here he shows up when he shouldn't need to, especially to the people who knew him most and understood the the purpose of his being here. He told them a bunch of times, I'm going to die and I will rise. Bunches of times. And they kept saying, nope, not true. Don't get it. Don't want to. (laughs) So much so that he had to say this. Okay. (laughs) You see the hole in my hand? (laughs) A nail was here. You see that? And it says they still didn't believe. Okay, touch me. Flesh and bones are not those of a spirit. I'm not a ghost. Touch. They touched. Still didn't believe. Simply because God does what you want him to do doesn't mean it's going to help you. You still got to believe by faith. Finally, he says, y'all are thick-headed. That's Brett. Y'all are thick-headed. Do you have any fish? Give me something to eat. Because spirits don't eat. They gave him some broiled fish and he ate. Three things that were unnecessary to prove he was who he was. All for the accommodation of humanity. And I want you to know 
how much God cares for you and that he has accommodated you so many times, things you don't even know he's done for you, forgotten that he's done for you. There were buses that didn't hit you. There were diseases you didn't get. There were folks that planned ill against you and God said, let me thwart that. If you live long enough, you've offended somebody whereby they are praying to God every day. God, get them. Get them, Lord. Get them, get them, get them. And he said, no, even though you might deserve it. You might deserve it. He said, no, 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 no. He has treated you so well. It's time for you to open your eyes and see what he's done. See him, even though your natural eyes won't be able to confirm anything you know to be true. Believe and let that believing alter your life so that you will serve him every day with integrity. Perfection, man, that's already gone. <laughs> that, that horse has left the barn a long time ago. None of us could ever be perfect because we've all blown it so many times we can't remember. But consistency ought to be the order of the day for us. We ought to win many more than we lose. We ought to have more victory in our life than we have defeats. I think it's the 2016 Cleveland Browns and the 2008 Detroit Lions, both of them, 0-16. That's the way most Christians are. They never win because they don't think that they can. They don't apply the power of the resurrection to their life whereby Jesus can live through them rather than them trying to do it on their own. They lose almost every day. They give in to temptation rather than overcoming it. They speak out of their mouth, doubt and unbelief. They say things about people they should not say. They live in sin and every once in a while try to get out of it by going to church for an hour. That's the way most Christians are and it's sad. They can live so much further above the morass and the chains that bind them. Perfection, no. Only one NFL team has ever done that. But be 12 and 4. Anybody who, I'm sorry for my football analogies, but I'm going to keep using them. Anybody who is 12 and 4, which I am hoping that the Washington football team will be soon. Anybody who is 12 and 4, nobody thinks about the 4. They only think about the 12. And they're prepared for the playoffs. They might have a chance at the Super Bowl. Okay, fail like that. Please. Lose four, but win 12. I don't know if I'm making God happy by saying that, but <laughs> the, difficulty, <laughs> the difficulty that humanity has in terms of obeying him, I'm going to keep it like that. We ought to be 16 and 0. But just do 12 and 4 on the way. On the way to trying to be all right, be more right. I got to stop. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace, please, to assist us in the process of living the way we should. We honor you.